0: You are listening to The Hospice Chaplaincy Show, a show where we talk about psychospiritual and psychosocial aspects of -of end-of-life care. And now, here is your host, Saul.
1: Thank you very much for joining us on this episode of The Hospice Chaplaincy Show. I'm Saul Eberma. My guest today is Dr. Joshua Black, and we are going to talk about grief dreams. Welcome to the show.
2: Well, thank you for having me.
1: So for the sake of our discussion on grief dreams... How do you define it?
2: Good question. So basically any dreams that people will have that relate to their grief in some way. And so it's like an overarching term. And there's three different kind of categories you could, or types that you could sort of put these dreams into. There's the dreams that don't mention the... The death at all. So this can be just more of like a reflection of of someone's loss. And so a dream could be like someone's running by a mountain and the mountain collapses on them and they're struggling to breathe. And that could be like representative of the struggle of them trying to basically live in sort of this new world with their grief and the heaviness of that. Then you have these dreams where the deceased isn't mentioned, but their grief is in some way or there's something about it that references the loss. So it could be the person going to the hospital where the person died at, or it could be a character in the dream basically giving their condolences to the the dreamer about the death. So I've seen that. It was like sometimes it's angels, other deceased members talking about it, even other characters bring that in. And then lastly, but not least, is these dreams that have the deceased present. And that's kind of what people really want to talk about. Those tend to be the most meaningful to people, positive and negatively. And that's basically when the deceased is present and there's just something, there's some kind of dialogue or something going on. And sometimes it's, you get to see the deceased, other times it's through a phone or some other kind of communication where they get to hear.
1: So I find that many people who come into this kind of field are led by personal experiences. What was your journey to understanding grief dreams?
2: Yeah, it's it's yeah, I think you're absolutely correct. Yeah. <laughs> <The>, uh, <laughs> my uh, my journey is is very interesting because I never had any kind of significant loss in my life. And so when I was in university, I was planning to be an elementary school teacher. And at that time, I had like one year left, and then that's when my dad suddenly passed away. And it was the first time I was struck with grief. And I didn't do well, if that's the best way to put it. I don't know if anyone does really well, but like as a, a guy in our culture, I I definitely didn't seek help. I didn't want to talk about it. And so my goal when I after the funeral was to stop crying, get back to work, you know, get back to school. And I really suppressed a lot of those emotions. And so what happened was I fulfilled my objective which was to go back to school and work but what happened and I stopped crying but what happened was my life outside changed and so I would say the color in the life my color outside changed like black and gray and so I was dealing with this kind of like change and I didn't know I just thought this is how it is this is how I get back to work this is how I sort of move forward with my grief and everyone on the outside thought I was doing okay but inside I wasn't And it was about three months later, I had a dream of my father, which changed my whole life. And I still, to this day, don't fully understand it, but I know the impact it had on me. And so the dream was basically, I was in my room, and I got to sort of, and I looked, I saw my father at the other end, and he looked really good and happy, and I would say light. He had a lot of trauma in his life, and so every time I've seen him, he was like more heavy. Mm in in just like energy i guess and so when i walked up to him i said i'm i'm going to miss you acknowledging his death and i told him that i loved him and i i we i hugged him and he hugged me back and i just woke up and when mm. i woke up something changed the color was back into my life again and i could regulate my emotions and i remember sitting at the end of my bed for like a good hour, just saying, what was that? Because the the dream was totally different than any other dream I've really had before, mm. and it felt so real and and vivid. And there was this like peace and love within the imagery that I can't fully explain. And I kind of wish I could stay there every day, but I can't even. I don't know if I even get there in this life <laughs> if yeah. I'm awake. But there's something special about that the quality of that dream. And then from there, I didn't tell anyone. I just basically kept it almost a secret because it was so special to me. And when I finished school to be the elementary school teacher, I, I got into the interview to, do the, to go into that school and I, something didn't feel right. And so I backed away from that opportunity and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know where life was leading me now that my father was, was gone. And so what I ended up doing was volunteering at a, a local hospice, actually, in the bereavement program. And a lot of people were that I was seeing in group and one-on-one were talking about these dreams, either that they're having or that they weren't having and they want to know why. And so I went to the research as much I was trained, I was in psychology in my undergrad, to sort of see what I could find out. Because I had my own and they've always been positive. Some people are talking about these negative dreams they're having. Mm. And then when I went to the research, there really wasn't anything there to provide them, to give them any kind of understanding, which was really shocking to me, because if I had this and they're having this, why hasn't anyone really researched it in depth? And so after gaining the courage, I went back to school (laughs) to do my (laughs) master's and PhD. I never wanted to be a researcher, but I always wanted to help people. And I found that this would be a way to help people and also Make meaning from my loss. I think there's a a point in there that I think helped me try to find a little more answers and be of service within the grief field, and so I was able to do that. So I did my master's. I would have stopped there if I could answer all the questions that the bereaved had, but I couldn't, and so I had to do the PhD. And so I got to answer some questions like how, like is it common? You know, what are the functions of these dreams? Uh, Why are some people having dreams and other people aren't? And so i that's what I really learned about the field. Because before, I was just like hearing some stories. But once I got into it, I really realized how big the field is and how meaningful and also how, how distressing these dreams can be during one's grief process. And most people don't have any kind of understanding about it. And hence, I really love doing this talk. And I love that you brought me on to really gain some clarification on the topic that most people don't really know much about.
1: Mm. It looks like the dream you had with your father to me, it sounded like the perfect closure, but at the same time, it looked like an opening to a calling into your life, where you had to change direction. Is that how you saw it?
2: Yeah, you know, at the time, I didn't see it as anything other than what, what, like uh, the, the miracle it was, because it changed me from the inside, and it wasn't because I interpreted the dream, which is a very interesting thing. A lot of people find meaning in the interpretation of it, and they find like additional value. For me it was the dream itself changed me. And mm. so in that moment of time, I think a couple things happened there, right? Like I got to say goodbye, which I didn't get a chance to say in Waking Life, which I yeah. didn't say that it would do that kind of closure, but I think it was a lot more than that. I also got to sort of say I loved him, which as good males in our society, we didn't say, he didn't say it to me. last time I said to him, probably when I was a kid, so like, <laughs> That also like, gave me some understanding on the value of saying, I love you to the people that you love. And at that time, it was very foreign to me just with the way it was raised. And so now I've kind of pursued that more often to sort of share my feelings more openly so that doesn't have to happen again. But I think there was this love in the dream and peace that also, I think, did something. Because when I looked at other dreams, just through all the studies I've done and heard on uh, even on my podcast, the core quality like across cultures is this amount of love, this powerful love within the imagery that I think does something to us inside. So it's not even just it's a closure, it's like there's that opening up to a love, uh, I think opening the heart too, because I, I know after my loss and I know other people's losses too, our hearts can get closed, we don't wanna get hurt again. The pain is so overwhelming that it's very hard to feel that type of immense beauty of the love, you know, like we're grieving because we loved because that, um, but at the same time, there's not that beauty within that love space anymore that we usually sit in when we see that person or whatever. And for whatever reason, those dreams can really open up something that has been closed through pain to a truth that's there's still love within us. And I think that's one of the most important things I've seen. I think that might have been even the more important quality of the dream than even saying goodbye to my father or that I loved him. I think the, the love within the dream was something that overpowered all the stuff I was doing consciously to sort of suppress the pain.
1: Your story uh, with your dad and then working in the bereavement program and hearing stories of other people, what was your first research?
2: But yeah, my first one there <laughs> was just to look at like what kind of themes were going on and and how do people sort of relate to that when it comes to their spirituality. And a lot of people did say that the dreams that they had of the deceased, they tend to be more positive in nature and that a lot of these dreams helped them regain some aspect of, spirit, of their spiritual self and so even their religious faith. And so I thought that was really interesting on how this is what I th- I thought would happen, that these dreams... Actually help people in more ways than one, because one of the the pains is that we like we can challenge God if we're in faith we can lose faith and these dreams can actually help people regain something that was so key to them in their coping of living in this world. It's not only sometimes you have the the loss of the person, but you also have loss of faith at the same time. These positive dreams, anyways, can really help people regain both as much as a lot of other things. So there wasn't a lot of time to do too much research in that. Yeah, but what I, a lot of my PhD really focused on, you know, how common actually it is. So I had four years to, to, to do that. And so it was yeah. interesting. I did a couple of different studies. And so after of loss within the first year or two, 86% of people had a dream of the deceased. After pet loss, 78% within the first six months. And then after pregnancy loss, it was 57%. Yeah. Mm within the first year. And so these are huge numbers that are people are dreaming of the deceased. And then when you ask them of some of these themes that were positive or negative, 91% stated that these dreams had been positive in nature and 44% stated that it was negative. So what was interesting though is that those who stated that it was negative, 95% also stated they had a positive experience on a dream. And so it's, there seems to be this overwhelming kind of like push for these dreams to be more comforting, more positive in nature for people, which is very interesting because one thing I should state about just dream research in general, so just from a Western point of view, there's many different theories and understandings of dreams based on different cultures, but just from a Western point of view, what we found is that, you know, dreams tend to reflect our waking life and it's called the continuity hypothesis. So Mm. if you're sad and I say Angry, you're gonna have more negative dreams. If you're joyful, you know, within the day more happy, you're gonna have more positive dreams at night. And so, on average, just because of our culture, most people are not joyous <laughs> and happy before <laughs> bed. <laughs> they're looking at the news and they're wondering what's going on. And so they're having more negative dreams in general. And then after trauma, what you find is people are having even more consistently negative dreams. And so, what I thought actually going into the PhD, is that even though people are reporting these positive dreams, once we get a large samples of hundreds of people, maybe these negative dreams will pop up. And what we find is that it's not true. So there's something special about this that's even going against trauma and like regular dreams that these tend to be a push when the deceased is part of the imagery that these dreams are more positive in nature. So it's functioning differently than normal dreams, which is, you know, for me, a very fascinating quality of what's going on. So for the sake
1: of this this discussion, how do you define positive and negative dreams?
2: Yeah, so like a positive dream would be the deceased saying comforting words, which is very common, or you're seeing the person, sometimes you don't get a chance to talk to them or hear them, but you sort of see them happy and healthy in some way. A negative dream would be the deceased providing criticism to you in, in some way, trying to like put you down, or they're dying or dead within the imagery or ill. And so that's also, so those are the most common ones. So do, where do nightmares fall
1: in this dream interpretation <laughs> or analysis? Well, nightmares,
2: is, nightmares, well, there's different definitions, but you can say a nightmare is a really negative dream for an individual that uh, caused them distress. Yeah. And a lot of these dreams will cause distress because you have distress seeing the person dying again sometimes, or you're reliving... Sometimes you're you're reliving the death as it was or you're seeing it in an exaggerated f- fashion as you sort of see a lot after suicide where maybe you weren't there but you're like reliving different things on how they died so you wake up with this distress just filling your body then you also wake up with the grief of them also being gone again right mm. and so and also the lack of understanding of dreams so you don't know how to process it how to stop it what can I learn from this? We don't have those tools usually within our culture. And so people are left on their own. And a lot of times they don't share it either. So it's something that if we don't sort of process it or we don't look at it, it's going to continue on. And sometimes that can impact our sleep, which then will impact us having more of those negative dreams because now we're even more sleep deprived and our grief is even more intense because of that. And so that's, you know, for, for that, there are ways to actually, you know, I should probably just say it now, there are ways that we can actually process our our dreams especially the negative ones and one of the ones is that to understand just educate yourself that first of all it's common within the grief journey we would expect those dreams and also that there's always clues into sort of what the mind is trying to process in those moments i know know, some people can have have this idea that if they're spiritual in some fashion then any dream of deceased is like a visitation kind of dream i always try to warn people that you know like maybe look not look at that right away even though it may be part of your culture just maybe look at it is this has does this have something to do with my grief because a lot of times if you look at the dream imagery itself it can actually relate to what you're trying to process and that in itself can then help you when you're awake to process those emotions or seeing a therapist or a counselor to really look and engage and try to understand that a little bit more. And a lot of the dreams, negative dreams I see, you definitely can see that what's going on there. And then what happens is that as one processes their dreams, Uh, people are are basically having more of these positive dreams. So the dreams just don't go away. They just change as you sort of deal with some of those negative emotions Mm. that are like going through. Why some people get that negative emotion right away and other people get that positive one like I did right away, it's uncertain. And there's probably, we're probably dreaming of them more than we're actually remembering them. But it's always interesting on what we remember and, and what we can do with that. So the other thing you can do is it can take a long time to talk about your grief and to work through some of those emotions. So Western research also has found a way that if you dream, re-script your dream, can also be very helpful. And so let's say you have a dream um, that's very negative. Let's say someone's chasing you, the deceased is chasing you for some reason. Mm. What you can do is and you wake up you know, all sweaty and stuff, you can actually then re-script that dream. So change that dream to something you want to have. And so it would be like the person's chasing you, you turn around to realize actually he's just trying to give you some flowers because he loves you. And then you hug. And that's the dream you basically review in your mind throughout the day. And what research has found is that as, you, as that happens, first of all, you're taking the avoidance away from the dream. But they found that actually reduces any kind of distress if that dream happens again. But also those dreams tend to stop. And so there are these tools that we can use in waking life to actually help our our nightmares to diminish, if not just decrease the discomfort. And you can also bring in characters to help you through some of the negative circumstances. Um, So if you're spiritual, you can bring in like a a prophet or God to help you through some of the emotions of of basically maybe witnessing the death and giving you comforting words uh, on that. And so there's different like just tools you can be able to use with that. But it's interesting how like dreams can affect our trauma, but like by working through our trauma can also affect our dreams. It's more than just like our waking life is affecting our dreams. There's things we can do within looking at our dreams. That's going to affect our own grief and trauma. Mm
1: -hmm. So uh, around 2000, I was in Johannesburg, South Africa, and one of my best friends became a victim to gun violence. He was shot dead in a park. And I remember one time about two, three weeks after the burial, I had a dream where he showed up and saying, I'm okay. Now, is that because I wanted the closure? How do you, how would I interpret a dream like that?
2: These dreams are magical in many ways, and it always goes back to what do you want? But you have the choice in that to figure that out based on how it felt to you. People are spiritual, they tend to sort of use that as a visitation from the soul, the person, to state that they are okay, which to help you, which is amazing in, in itself. But other people even who are atheists sometimes will say that the dream is is beautiful. They don't maybe believe in an afterlife, but it's still something that has an impact on their grief. And they can't fully explain it. And so at the end of the day, do you need to interpret it? I don't know. It's like like a work of art a lot of times. You can just sit with it. And like, how does it make you feel? And be with that. And sort of see, because a lot of times, like there's the having the dream itself has changed you in some way. And then there's the interpretation that can help or hinder you based on how you interpret. And so if you interpret it in a more positive way, it's going to only help you. If you interpret it in a negative way, like there's some cultures who will see a dream like that as a sign that the soul's not reincarnated, and that can cause them distress. And so they'll provide merits and like these different things to reincarnate the soul. And so it's causing distress to have a loving dream like that. But for you, it's up to you on how you sort of see that. And for me as a a listener, it's just for me to validate whatever you're sort of saying and to be witness to your story that usually could really help and to really ask questions about that and about questions about the loss. And so I think this is just another tool for us to sort of sit with people's grief and explore what's going on in the mind and maybe outside in the sense of the the life of a soul.
1: Well, that will take a little break. Again, my guest is Dr. Joshua Black. We'll be right back. Continuing to be a leader in the field of spiritual care at the end of life, Hospice Chaplaincy provides high-quality professional development webinars that will improve your practice of spiritual care at the end of life. Check out our latest webinars at www.hospicechaplaincy.com. I'm Saul and we continue our conversation with Dr. Black. Uh, What are the functions of these grief dreams?
2: And so, just in the research, different research studies that we've done, when it comes to dreams of the deceased, anyways. There's three functions that we sort of sat or, or realized from these dreams. And the first one is processing trauma. And so, one of the things when it comes to trauma that we found just in the literature is so that you can have those reenactments, right? And that's almost like the intrusive rumination that's going on. But you can have these dreams that aren't exactly the same. And so, what that's saying to researchers is that the mind is trying to integrate this loss and change it in some way the trauma uh, and process it. And so it's trying to process that trauma within you as you're sleeping. And then the second one is emotion regulation. And so we can see that what happened with me in the sense of having this very beautiful dream and kind of changed the way I could feel emotions and regulate my emotions. But also if you're avoiding emotions, some of these negative dreams may help you process the, the grief because you're avoiding. And so th- that could also be regulating your emotions from that. And then there are these, other ones um, when it comes to sort of helping you with your grief, which one is continuing bonds, which is being able to continue that relationship. And a lot of times, even if, say, people who are spiritual, but definitely you can sort of see that, and especially if they sort of see it as a visitation, it's continuing that relationship with the deceased. And even if you're not, just it gives you a different, a new memory of the deceased, sometimes in that's not sort of maybe in the casket or something like that. But they're, happy and healthy. Sometimes people are reliving memories, which is another aspect of continuing bonds that they've forgotten. And one of the things I, one of the biggest challenges I had when my father died was I was trying to remember all the different memories we had and I couldn't, and it got me a lot, it got me frustrated really, and kind of sad. And then, but some of these dreams are actually memories that people have forgotten and they get to sort of relive in that moment. And a lot of times too, it's, You know, through that, there's a lot of other aspects within these really beautiful dreams, comforting dreams when it it comes to grief work. So people can provide forgiveness. Let's say if they killed themselves they may, you know, people may have these dreams where the person gets understanding on why and even gets an apology sometimes, which can uh, be very helpful within their own grief journey. Other times, if you're a parent, single parent, you can get advice uh, from the deceased parent or deceased partner uh, from there. And, you know, there's just so much that can happen. A lot of times reducing guilt, if you're feeling guilty for something that you think you have done, a lot of times the deceased can provide comfort for that to help you through some of these more challenging aspects. And even like through the pandemic, what was interesting is I sort of see these, a lot of people are having dreams of just being with the deceased. Some people were given advice to had to like get through some of the emotions, but for the most part, a lot of people are just having dreams with. And I think you sort of see that isolation and loneliness that were happening within the pandemic, and these dreams were trying to help with that. And then what's interesting at end of life you see these dreams also of the deceased and so these dreams don't stop when our you know our acute grief kind of like settles down a little bit they continue going in different aspects of our life that seems to be more challenging to us to give us some some more comfort which i think is very fascinating so like i said like the pandemic or if someone gets divorced they may people might have these dreams of the providing encouragement but even at end of life, so these people, a lot of people can have these dreams. At end of life with the deceased provides comfort and even helps with the transition from life to death, reassuring them that it's going to be okay and that it's safe. And so you sort of see that in the end of life kind of literature, which I think is really fascinating. I think one study was like fifty percent of people would will have one of these dreams of the deceased that kind of provides that re- uh, encouragement and the. And so that's sort of how I sort of see these functions. But these dreams are functioning a lot differently than normal dreams. So
1: I've noticed that some people have these dreams and others don't. And those that don't but desire to have a sense of communication with their dead loved ones end up going to psychic mediums. So are the mediums the solution or is it equal to the dreams? Is the
2: mediums a solution? <laughs> it's an interesting question. First, I like, are they even are the mediums telling the truth? I don't know, right? There's a lot of scammers out there too, so you always have to be aware if you do go that direction. But I heard that same thing, and people who don't have these dreams will tend to find a medium or someone to provide them almost proof that their loved one is okay and it has crossed over. Which I think is a beautiful thing, like as you know, I'm not a parent, but I know my mom, every time I go somewhere, she wants me to call her to let her know that I'm OK. And that gives her comfort. A lot of times it's just that it's that love that we want to make sure that they're OK. And so it comes out of, I think, a love that people are searching this. But I think it's just providing deeper understanding on if you don't have it, maybe someone around you has and that can be your comfort and so just because you don't have a dream doesn't mean nine other people have like are have like nine other people might have had a dream about that person and so it's you can use their dream as your own to give you whatever you need if it is a sense that have they crossed over well you can get that and so one of the things actually i looked at in multiple studies was that question, like why are some people having dreams and other people aren't? Because the people that aren't having these dreams are becoming distressed and they're actually complicating their grief in many ways by saying, A, maybe I did something wrong, they don't love me anymore, if they're spiritual, maybe they didn't cross over, maybe they're in purgatory or hell, maybe they weren't good enough, right? And so maybe they're restricting their visit, maybe they did cross over, but they don't love me anymore and they're just moving on with their life. And so these are the things, people wanted these dreams just because to have these moments of love and another moment together. People always say, I, could, I would give a million dollars if we just had one more moment. Hmm. And these dreams are that moment where you can actually be in it because a lot of times you don't know it's a dream. You're in it and it's reality for you. And so that's why I went and, yeah, looked at sort of the why. Like why is there this difference? And so what we found in multiple studies was that dream recall frequency was the most important factor. And so we looked at grief, we looked at spirituality, we looked at personal, the other personality attachment, we looked at you know gender, we looked at so many other factors. And the one that came up in both studies as significant was just dream recall frequency in general. So what it's saying is people who remember more dreams will remember more dreams of the deceased. And so it's more of a function of memory, of remembering your dreams. And about 10% of the population doesn't remember their dreams at all. And so those people are never going to have a, a dream of the deceased. And it's not, they may be having it, but they're not remembering it. And so we're all having dreams. It's just that remembering that it's still, you know, with research, it's still pretty, uh, you know, we, we can't figure it out exactly why some people have more dreams than others. But we do know that, you know, culture plays a role, how You see dreams, plays a role. So if you view dreams as important in your life, you're going to remember more of these dreams. If you talk about dreams to others, you're going to increase your recall. If you write them down, so those people who keep a dream journal and write down their dreams actually have more dreams. And you can, so our dream recall frequency is actually pretty fluid. So I remember reading about this. I'm like, I wanted to try it. So I usually have like three dreams a week. The Mm. average is about one or two, but remembering them. And so... I started writing down my dreams. And then all of a sudden, like within a couple of months, I was having three dreams a night. And then I was like, I can't do this anymore. I was like waking up, writing it down. I was, my sleep was getting impeded. So <laughs> I went back to, I'm, I'm back now to like three dreams a week. And I only write down the more important ones that feel a little more meaningful to me. But that's sort of some place to look at it. And a lot of times when people come up to me and say, why haven't I had a dream? I always go to, what's your dream recall frequency? And it's amazing how many times people say, oh, not very good. Well, if they're not very good, you probably had dreams, you just haven't remembered them. And I think that's a very interesting aspect of all this, that people are probably experiencing these dreams, they're just not remembering them. And then for me, as a researcher, it says, well, if you're not remembering them, are they still having an impact in your grief? Which is very interesting to really think about, right? Because we call people resilient, but is there something else going on within our dreams or helping people to be more resilient, even if we don't remember those dreams? <laughs> Only time will tell with more research and understanding with this. But overall, it's it's very interesting. So it's something interesting to think about, but also reduces those aspects of, oh, there's something wrong with me. No, it's not. Like we all have different qualities and some people are dreamers and some people really aren't. The other thing I found out just through talking to people is, is there avoidance in having a dream? So some people will not want a dream for maybe cultural reasons or interpretational reasons, like the reincarnation thing. They may not want one because it's a negative thing. Other people, it would make the the loss more real. And so there's multiple people that have come on my podcast that actually have talked about not having a dream. And then when I've talked to them further, there's an avoidance there because they even haven't even went to the cemetery. Because they said it would make it too real for them. I said, Oh, that's interesting. Maybe then I said, like, maybe when you go to the cemetery, you'll start having a dream of them, right? Like just because now you're not avoiding the reality of the loss. Mm -hmm. And so what happened was that person actually did end up going to the cemetery. And interesting enough, she had a dream of the deceased a couple of days later, a very comforting one. And so it's always questioning too, is there avoidance on the the moment of even having a dream. Some people said they never want one. And like, that's okay. Then hopefully you never get one. Like, it's just, you want to go with and realize that these dreams, as much as they seem random, they're not as random as we, there is some control that we do have. With that, we'll
1: take a little break. Again, our guest is Dr. Joshua Black. We'll be right back.
0: If someone you know is suffering from mental health issues and could use some support, please call the National Alliance for Mental Illness Helpline. It is a free nationwide peer support service providing information, resource referrals, and support to people living with a mental health condition. To contact the NAMI Helpline, please call 1-800-950-NAMI. That's 1-800-950-6264. Monday through Friday, or send an email to info at NAMI.org.
1: I'm Soleil and We continue our conversation with Dr. Black. Uh, earlier in the conversation, we spoke about some grief themes. Uh, there are there some grief themes that you like clinicians to be aware of?
2: Yes. Yeah, so there's actually one that I really try to raise awareness of, and you see it actually across cultures, which I think is fascinating to me. But there's a theme called, come join me. And so that is when the deceased is basically trying to force or convince the dreamer to join them in the afterlife. And so I've been, I've collected over a thousand dreams, and I've only seen three of these. And what was interesting in my research that the three dreams, two of them are very negative. with the deceased is like trying to forcefully convince them or drag the, the dreamer. One dream was the deceased trying to convince the dreamer is the only way to be together, so it was like kind of rational in the sense that to take away your pain, you should join me in the afterlife, kind of thing. So you mm-hmm. should kill yourself. And when looking at those three dreams, when it, and looking at their trauma symptomatology scale, um, they're at the highest. So if it's out of five, it's like an out of five, and so you can sort of see that there's high trauma going on in those dreams, and then when you look at Patricia Garfield wrote a book on these dreams, and she's a clinical psychologist. And she found that these dreams, these "come join me" dreams, in her practice, reflected either high depression or suicide ideation. Mm. And so that's very interesting because it kind of goes with the trauma, high trauma index that we sort of had. And then across cultures, there is the the Georgia people in Indonesia. There's a a common belief that if you, if the deceased tries to convince you to join you in afterlife, it means that you're going to die soon. Mm. And so, there may be a kernel of truth there because if it is suicide ideation, one may actually decide to end their life. It also could be if you're a hunter gatherer, you're going to make more errors, and and that could harm you to actually provide illness or injury that may end your life just because of the the culture itself. Because as you know, with trauma or cognition, uh, reflex or timing, sleep is all challenged. And so there's something about those dreams that needs higher awareness. So any kind of clinician that sees those types of dreams, it's something to really question about depression, trauma, and suicide ideation, that there's something that may be seriously needing to be talked about and looked at. A lot of the other dreams and negative dreams, we would expect them to be common, and they are common in, in like trauma and, and regular aspects, it's more of, is it causing distress on them? And so if they're having a negative dream or even a positive dream and it's causing distress, I think that's just something to look at in general and to not assume that just because a dream imagery is negative or dream imagery is positive that it's comforting or discomforting to the person that you really have to ask them on you know what their perception of that is. And then they'll give you an insight into, do we need to talk about anything related to this? Um, and give you any kind of understanding. But for the most part, negative dreams are common in our lives, and most people will have them, you know, you know, like daily <laughs> or, <laughs> or like monthly. And so it's not something so much to be aware of, but it's just really providing the tools to uh, work through that and give them understanding. A lot of times it's just understanding on why these negative dreams are occurring.
1: Mm. And if most of these dreams are a reflection of the waking life, I mean, if you're depressed and having complications in your grief, it. it, it you know, the dreams could be tough like that. What are, in your research, what are some of the most common themes that come out of these dreams? Because I have to believe that grief dreams provide healing. You know, they're an amazing source of healing from
2: grief. They are, and I think the the most common out of all of them is the comforting dreams, uh, of course. And then within that, the common theme across cultures, I said, is love. And there's just this loving quality and presence within that dream imagery that I don't fully understand. I think it's something we long to get to (laughs) in waking (laughs) life. I think that's why people try to meditate and, you know, work on themselves because there's so much, I think stress that the past and the future hold on us and also the the daily tasks of waking life will push us into that takes away from I think a love that's already within us and so in these moments of these dreams where you get to see the deceased you're also experiencing this love that is possible and I think when, when I look at these dreams across culturally and you know different religions will have different kind of like symbols for the religions in there so like maybe a christian may have you know references of heaven or jesus or an angel and you know other people and other cultures will have their references um, to help you know with their faith but overall the love is the same and people are having these experiences that they can't fully understand but it changes them and i think there's something about this love that's within us because we're having these dreams, is so you think the dream is po- like so those emotions are possible for having them, and in waking life, if are possible in our dream, and so for me the question is how can we get to that love? How can we sort of embrace that more often within our waking life? And a lot of times, people who have these dreams can always go back to the dreams and get back into that love as a reflection, as a healing. Mode. So it could be, you know, five years after, and they still remember the dream and remember that emotion so strongly. And so they get to go back to it just through memory of that, which I think is phenomenal in many ways. But it's still, there's a power of love that I think we talk about. But in these dreams, it really showcases it. And through this research, it definitely showcases how powerful that can be, especially within the grief journey. And so, as I sort of, you know, when I look at this stuff, it's like, okay. Even though I'm not, I've I can't fully experience that, it's a lighthouse to know where I can be. And so it gives me motivation to sort of continue to look at myself and the my beliefs, my perspectives, to be able to walk forward closer to that love, whatever that is for that person. But it's possible because if I had in a dream, it must be possible in waking life. And so I I strongly utilize that as a, a lighthouse for myself and guide me in my direction on how I'm feeling, on what's possible as I move forward.
1: What have these dreams taught you about life and death?
2: <laughs> so, <laughs> so much. And there's like the wisdom is like uncanny on like what people say and, and the difficulties we get into when we listen to other people, like the negative comments, the environments we're a part of. A lot of the advice that comes through these dreams is about being true to yourself, said embracing love, reducing guilt to regret, like all this stuff that really holds us back in life. And we probably have it not just for the loss, but for so many other moments in our life that are just continuing to hinder us into actually feeling joy and being the best self that we can. And so a lot of the the wisdom is just coming to be able to how do you be your best self in a world that seems kind of chaotic at times and pushes us. And so many people are wanting us to be certain things, but how do we be true to ourselves? And I think that's where the a core of, of love is. I remember having, um, there's this one individual who shared a dream to me that I always remember. And she said, uh, her gra- it was a dream of her grandfather and her grandfather told her right at the end of the dream, even in sadness, there is beauty. Hmm. And I sat with that for a while, and it's it's very true. And I think the things that are sad to us shouldn't be avoided. Uh, there's beauty in there if we can sit with it. There's an opening that happens. I think a lot of times our culture is, is not, not trained on how to handle emotions or sit with emotions. Our emotional intelligence is very poor, and so we tend to avoid emotions rather than sitting with them. And there's something very beautiful about sitting with them because there is a beauty within sadness. And I think if people can sit with that sadness, they'll f- figure out what that beauty is. Wow, uh,
1: powerful stuff, man. Uh, what I forgot to mention is that Dr. Joshua Black is also the host of the Grief Dreams podcast. And please, I would encourage you to check it out. Lots of wonderful stuff there.
2: I appreciate this so much. It, uh, means, it means so much to me. Thank you for having me.
1: That was Dr. Joshua Black. He's the host of the Grief Dreams podcast. Our project manager is Melissa Caprelli, our studio engineer is Brian Markinder. And I'm Solid Berman. Thank you for listening.
0: This show is brought to you by Hospice Chaplaincy, promoting excellence in spiritual care at the end of life. This episode was recorded at Audio Hive Podcasting in Julia, Illinois. You can find our podcast everywhere podcasts are available. If you enjoy listening to this show, please don't forget to give us your feedback by writing a review on iTunes. For more information, please visit www.hospicechaplaincy.com.